This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Forging Table. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. At The Forging Table, you'll see a group of regular guys forging spiritual resilience by digging into God's word, and we're welcoming all of you to come along on that journey with us. Now, to my right is Matt. Across from me is Ryan Horn, but who the heck is this enormous human being? We got a newbie at the table, a guy named Jake Winkler. Yes, that is actually his last name. Jake, welcome to the Forging Table. Happy to have you here. Every time someone's on here for the first time, they have to answer three questions. And in total, you have two minutes to answer all three of these questions. So, number and I always forget what my questions are, and I have to like remind myself. So, number one, uh, how'd you become a Christian? Number two, how do you like to study the Bible? And number three, how does your brain work? So, two minutes, go. Well, became a Christian. In high school, I would say I was growing up, grew up Catholic, but was went through confirmation and everything, but really didn't know Jesus. Uh, was saved in high school, my junior year, uh, and I think probably like most people, went on and off the path for a very long time before I started finally committed uh, to trying to walk this path with Jesus. The other thing I would say is, I guess, question two was, what was it? I'm sorry. I forgot too. How do you study the word? How do you study the, word? How do I study the Bible? Well, uh, I, I make a lot of notes. Uh, I study, I'm, generally I like to kind of just dig in pretty deep. Um, I think I sent Matt a picture last night of me studying the Bible. I had about six different study Bibles on my desk trying to get through it all. But Is there a translation that you like that you prefer? Uh, English Standard Version. Okay, I think that's, that's uh, ESV, all of us. Yeah, but you know, I had a MacArthur Bible out. I had a Founder Study Bible out. I mean, it was just, I was all over the place. Um, and then how does my brain work? Well, I'm a CPA, so I'm very logic-based, going to be very, um, I like evidence. I like facts. And so, you know, if I ever recommend reading or anything like that, it's generally going to be something historical. Um, so, you know, favorite authors are going to be things like, you know, like, like I like Tim Keller's book on uh, the reason for God, mm-hmm. just really kind of hitting on the, the doubters uh, and, and pushing back on some of those. So one thing that was, this is not the point of today, but one thing that I found interesting when Tim Keller passed away earlier this year, um, I remember it seemed like in the months leading up to that, you know, there were a lot of people that were, they were just frustrated with some things that he would say and some of the more cultural things that he would say. And it was almost like people lost sight of some of the simple wisdom that he gave people because I've, I've taken several atheists through the reason for God Yeah, because it was an accessible apologetic book and the, and, you know, people have critiqued the book by saying, well, yeah, there wasn't enough scripture in it. I was like, well, he wrote that book for a skeptic that thinks the Bible is, is nonsense. And then people are like, well, that doesn't matter what they think. It matters what the Bible says. I'm like, okay. But like the thing was, is that was a lot of people's entry point into even opening up to being like, yeah, maybe I should read the Bible. Maybe the Bible isn't just a bunch of fables that a bunch of people are wrote and made up. But um, that, that was just an interesting point that came to mind. But today we're, we're going to continue our study of Nehemiah. We're getting into Nehemiah 6. And the interesting thing about Nehemiah 6 is Nehemiah 5 kind of like took a little bit of a, of a detour away from the main point of Nehemiah. And then we get back into really the main point of the book of Nehemiah. And that's, you know, the rebuilding of the wall, but also the uh, opposition to the rebuilding of the wall. And uh, that's what we, what we see here in the first chat or the first verses of chapter six is this is Samballot and Geshem and Tobiah. This is kind of their last ditch effort to, we're, we're going to try to destroy this project. And, you know, as, as we see that they're, they're not successful, but um, as we see in 
I'm trying to read my own notes. But in um, the first three chapters, they do four times. So we see at the beginning of uh, verse four, and they sent me four times in this way, and they were trying to get him to come out of the city so that they could do him harm. And they were just relentless with it. And so I guess the, the, the corollary here for me is, guys, if you're, if you're ever under the thumb, you feel like people are coming after you and you think they're just going to do one volley. It's like, no, you need to be ready for multiple volleys. And it seems like Nehemiah was. Yeah, I think um, he, he had a mission from God. And I think, you know, we see that in our own lives with our own, you know, our own um, walk to not just you have a project, but even a walk, like your walk with God. Um, and as you come to salvation, I think a lot of people think like, okay, I'm saved. Everything's good. And it's like, nah, it's not really how it works. So yeah, the, the, the consistency and the persistence of those three guys is, is uh, pretty astounding. And he's still steadfast in his faithfulness to, to carry out what, what he's been called to do. For sure. I, uh, I kind of looked at how they attacked his character. They're like, hey, you're, you're going to try to make yourself king when he's already had a uh, kind of a deal or a trust with the king, with Artaxerxes. And they're like, hey, you're going to try to make yourself king. And then they go even a step further and they try to get him to desecrate the temple. So it's like, hey, let's not just go after his name. Now let's go make him do something that will make his own people look at him with disgust. Well, and Ryan, even before, <clears throat> even before we get to all that, because there's, there, there's so much, and this is a relatively Ooh. short chapter, and there's so yeah. much there. Uh, I'm even just looking at verse 3 where the, the, he sent the messenger saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Yeah. And so, again, he knows they're trying to physically hurt him. He yeah. knows that they're, they're trying to really get after him, but he's just like, Hey, I'm busy. Like essentially was like, Hey, piss off. Like I, I got stuff that I need to do and what you're doing, but well, they, for a, go ahead. Sorry. They also showed a lot of disrespect in the letters that they sent. Mm, they sent yeah. them open. Good point. Yeah. yeah open yeah. letters to right. Nehemiah, yeah. which, you know, you're we'll talk say, about this. Yeah. What's the, yeah, what's the, the context? There? So yeah. the context there is that, you know, usually with a, with a closed letter, it means, you know, Hey, we don't want to make this public knowledge. We want this to be between you and I, and they're sending this open letters to him basically wanting to make everything public knowledge, which they're going after his character. Right. Well, let, all, let us, oh, go, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, that's also a sign of disrespect back then. Yeah. Like if you have a, every letter was sealed with that yeah. signet. Yeah. So yeah. if it was open exactly. like that, basically it's just a, I, we don't respect you at all. This is public information. You are in defiance of anti-Xerxes. And uh, that's, you know, you're just not going to, you're not going to have this, I don't know. I'm trying to put the words together here, but the, you don't have the right essentially to take the position that you are. Yeah. And, and I want to show the people that you're not of the, you're not of the Davidic line. So you don't have a right to the kingship and you're not their Messiah, which he wasn't obviously, but at the same time you have, you have intentions here. And I think I look at it more of the personally, how often do you try and follow what God is telling you to do? And how often do we get undermined in, uh, in that pursuit of what God's plan might be? For us? You know, you have these issues of people trying to, you know, I remember like after getting saved, like how many people would come into you that were in your life before that and would try and persuade you into things that were ungodly. Yeah. And it was constant. It's just an assault on your character, an assault on your integrity constantly. 
So yeah, and you use the word persuade. Well, a couple mm-hmm. of things right off the bat. So that was your first commentary for the forging table. So congratulations, you've done it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, a couple of problems here. Number one, you wore a Cubs hat in my presence. <laughs> so that that's a massive issue. You no, get a you get a no, pound from me. No, stop it, yeah. stop it, both of you, Cubs Jack wagons. Number two, you got to talk into the microphone. Oh not on man, because if well, I talk on top of the microphone, it sounds just, like this. just move it up. A so little can bit. we like put it like uh, actually in your face? It's so, that it's that whole thing of being six five. Sometimes. Okay. Just things aren't made for my. Why size. you gotta flex like that? Like, I'm okay, going like, to. You know, I'm gonna you flex. Didn't choose to be six five. <laughs> I did just not. Ended up being six five. Yeah, the Lord deemed <laughs> he deemed me pre- worthy. He was <laughs> predestined. I'm, I'm, I'm better for a mic because I'm five nine. <laughs> but but let's 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 get back to the the word you use. I think persuade yep. is a is a very important word because when people, you know, you think about Delilah, you think about different people from, from scripture to where it's like, it's easy to see the nefarious intent of the things that they were, they were trying to do. But it's like, how many times do we end up in sin? Because we, we are allowing ourselves to be persuaded in that way. I think that's important. Well, I think we can, we can question our own motives. Like they're questioning his motives. Like you're not doing this because God has called you to do it. And God wants to rebuild his, his city and rebuild his nation. You're doing it for your own personal gain. And I think even in our you know, Christian walk, when we, a lot of times when believers, there's a, there's that heart change and a, a regeneration. And now they have turned away from the, the sins of their past and they're, they're actively pursuing holiness. And I, I can speak to this from my own life. You have people that kind of come out of the woodworks, like, like Jake's talking about, like, are, you're kind of a holier than thou type of guy. Like this isn't, this isn't, what you say it is you're 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 doing this for clout or you're doing this so people like you better or whatever the reason is and so i think a lot of times we can we can take that and go why and you know we can question ourselves so it's it's very it's very important to be grounded and know what what are we doing i think one thing to look at though is you know maybe there was a um a jealousy in those guys but i think it was mostly fear Fear of what is Jerusalem going to be able to accomplish with their walls rebuilt? Because um, these guys weren't Jewish. They were, uh, one was a Moabite, the other one's an Arab. You know, I don't know who Tobiah was. I just know it was either southeast of the, yeah, Jordan River. And so these guys, I think, are fearing what Jerusalem's going to do, um, what they're going to be capable of if their walls are, are restored. And I think a lot of this is leading towards their fear. Yeah. Well, and their fear of where their place in the pecking order Yep. is going to be that's where and, the jealousy comes mm-hmm. in yeah and how For much sure. influence that they'll have um and I, I wonder if that is why you know when we see in verse six as you mentioned earlier ryan where it's you know according to reports you wish to become their king and so at the time again we have to go back to the very beginning he was given a sabbatical from king artaxerxes and king artaxerxes gave him money supplies protection and all of this to basically go out to a degree as his standard bearer in the land that he is in ultimate control over mm-hmm. and how violative would it be of that arrangement if he goes out, rebuilds the city walls, fortifies the city walls, and then hides behind it and says, all right, I'm the king now, Artaxerxes, and you know, we're, we're, we've rebuilt the walls, like come and get it. And that's the way that they're setting this up. It doesn't have any anything to do with reality. That's not the reality of the situation, but that, that is kind of the tact that they took. And I mean, to be honest, it's, it's a, it's deceitful and it's, it's, it's nasty, but man, that's an effective technique. Do you think there was inner motives on them though? Um, wanting to do that because like, Hey, how long is Artaxerxes going to be around? 
you know, how long is he going to be, how long is he going to reign? And if he's gone, what power do we have that we can take over this area, and make it our own? I think there's probably a little bit of that, but you know, I think they were, they were going to, they, they stood to lose something. If the, you know, the, the people are coming together, Tobiah had kind of married into the Jewish people. Like he, mm-hmm. and he, you know, he's kind of in the circle and we kind of go through that as we go through a few verses from now and, and, and where he um, kind of stands and how he got in there. But I think, I think yeah. that's a, that's a good point. Possible for sure. I think one of the things that's interesting here though, I think, I think they all knew as they're tempting the people to try and convince them, they all know the story that there's a coming King. There's a coming Messiah. This guy thinks he's it. He's not of the Davidic line, but he's going to act like he is. And I think in that point, and I mean, I think all of us have probably experienced this at some point in our walk is how often do people use scripture against us as we're trying to walk? You know, um, I always like the, my favorite phrase is, you know, you start telling someone like trying to show some discernment in something that's going on. And you say, here's what's, here's what's happening. And they're like, well, you know what? You shouldn't be judging. (laughs) You shouldn't be judgmental. And I look at it's, Again, I'm going to go back to Tim Keller, one of my favorite lines from The Reason for God. Uh, you're, are there people in this world right now who are doing something that you don't think they should be doing? And the fact is, is everybody has this discernment of what is right and what is wrong. It's like it's implanted in us because we've been made in God's image already. But yet, I think that's probably the hardest thing about being a Christian is because, especially when you're a new Christian, it's very difficult. You don't know the scripture in that way. You're trying to, you, you dive in and you read it and there, it, there is layers to this stuff. I mean, it is so deep. Well, Jake, you, you talk about discernment. Mm-hmm. Well, where does a Christian get their discernment mm-hmm. from, I mean, from the Holy spirit and from dis- discerning from study of the actual scriptures. And so it. the problem is, is when you have a politician, mm-hmm. whether, whether, you know, left, right, or in between, when they say things like, well, the Bible says, well, it's like, okay, where, where in the Bible, like, where does it say that? What is the context of what, what you're quoting? And that's the problem is when Christians don't know their scriptures, again, guys, that's why the forging table even exists because I had, what was it a year or two ago? Like I read 53, 54 books, Mm -hmm. like for, for the podcast. And I read, I didn't read that many chapters of the Bible. And I'm going to keep repeating that because it's like, I got a lot of wisdom. And I got a lot of information from all these great resources. None of those authors were God. And so it's like the amount of time and effort I put into that work. And so you think about it this way. Let's say you don't go to a a church that has, you know, an expository preacher or someone that's going line by line through the Bible and, you know, exegeting, not eisegeting. So you go to one of these Ted talk churches and you're like, this all sounds good. Like it's, it's the moral therapeutic deism. You you feel good when you leave. You don't feel like depraved. You don't, you don't really reckon with your sin that much. And you can't call the pastor on using things incorrectly or exegeting improperly or even eisegeting just in general, because you haven't spent any time in the word and, you know, you get the bumper stickers, you know, scripture outside of the context of that chapter, outside of the context of that book, outside of the context of the story of the entire Bible. And I mean, Again, I don't want to seem like I'm hovering over my own commentary, but at the same time, it's like, is that not the case where it's like, when you're not in the scripture, like, how are you discerning anything? Well, that's mm-hmm. the thing is look at Christ in the desert. 
with the devil tempting him. Right. What is the devil using? Right. The devil is using scripture, but out of context well, to even, get him to do. Even Nehemiah uses scripture when he's called to desecrate the temple. He knows that's wrong. Why does he yeah. know that's wrong? Because God, God has laid that out in, right. his, in his law, and he knows that. Yeah. And had he not known that, man, we might not know who Nehemiah is, or he'd just be a little footnote because he, you know, was tempted to go in there and that like that's a desecration and an abomination so he was predestined for this <laughs> okay we made it we made it 16 minutes 16 minutes matt and don't, don't just, point at matt i, 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 did, I did say it first said it <laughs> matt said it first and then i just had to follow up with it because he's All my right. brother every single time for those of you that are just keeping score at home there are exactly 50% Calvinists at this table right now, and somehow that's going to be 90% of what we talk about today. I don't know how, how that math well, ends up working because out. it is preordained. I yeah. can't. I can't. Before we go too crazy and someone breaks a forging table, like, like, let's keep that discussion going because I think, so you bring up a great point, Ryan, about what, what Jesus did. How was Jesus able to refute the ploys of the devil in the desert? He knew the like, scripture. and. Yep. But we were so biblically illiterate, and I, I, I use the term we, let's, let's say Christians, people that, you know, their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Like, I guess why? Like, why don't we read the scripture? My, my number one guess, and so y'all can evaluate and see if you agree, is because it's so easy to access it, right? So, like Matt, to my right, he's got a journal. Does that have scripture in it? It doesn't. It's just some notes. Well, okay. But no, well, add mine. Yeah. So I've got a scripture <laughs> journal right there, which is touching an iPad that's got the ESV app open. And then you've got your John MacArthur study Bible right there. And then in your pocket, you've got multiple Bible apps. And this is indicative of everybody. We have a stack of Bibles. Every home, every Christian home has a stack of Bibles. But how often do we actually crack it? Is that, is that the hard thing? Is that why people in Iran and North Korea and China, is that why they're spending so much time in scripture? Because they might get a copy of John, a, like a track mm-hmm. copy of John. That's it. That's all they have. Yeah, they've got they've to know it. They've got to memorize it because they never know when they might be able to read it again. So I, th- I think that's a good point. I think, I think another reason, I, there's layers to this for sure, but I think another reason is we live in a time where, I'm gonna, I, don't, I don't know who called it this or who coined this phrase, but the cult of the expert, it may, mm-hmm. it may be Joe Boot, um, where, and it, it, it goes through all of society. It goes to our medical experts, our politicians, um, our church leaders. We view them as such experts that when they say something, it is gold, it is law. It, I, I don't need to question it because they went to six years of school for that. So I don't have to question anything. That's a, that's a hard thing for me because like, if anything, like, I don't know if it's just, I'm so self-absorbed, but like, that's probably it. Probably. That's probably (laughs) it. Or I'm just like, who cares? Like that guy wouldn't study this for 12 years. I don't care. I'll go read it for myself. And then hopefully this Holy spirit will guide me. Which usually happens. Um, but it's just like, I I'm tired of that expert age. It's like, Mm. all right, this expert who's going to let some cultural narrative kind of shape their value. And they still have that 12 years of study. And then they're going to be like, well, everybody's gonna be like, well, that's, that's what it, that's what it means now. It's like, no, it's not. Go read it for yourself. And yeah. I just think it's sheer laziness. Yeah. I, I think it's just sheer laziness to open your Bible and to read. I, I will tell you, as someone who's probably been digging into this for maybe a little bit less time than what you all have. I for always, the record, let yeah, me pause you yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So about 48 hours ago, who was supposed to be sitting in Jake's seat got COVID. 
And for those of you, like, this is a kind of a letting you behind the wall. I'm going to be having my second vocal cord surgery in two days. And so obviously I can't be around anybody that's the least bit sick. And so anybody out there, if you're like, hey, this Jake guy kind of sounds like a moron, which is probably not going to happen. I want to tell you, he had about 36 hours notice to come and sit down here and, you know, do a batch of recordings for the forging table. So given, I mean, I know he's a Cubs fan, like he's basically a loser by definition, but I'm just saying, guys, who's got, guys, who's got the worst relax. record in the MLB just right like, now? What, what is the MLB? Right? I mean, the MLB. The MLB. The Major League Baseball. Yeah. Who how has many, the worst record how in the MLB points, right now? How many points did the Cubs score last night is that how we're gonna go yeah. anyway wait stop ryan ryan come on man we're trying you're to attacking my cubs i'm not attacking anything i'm just pointing out the facts here what i'm saying is i'm giving you a solid so that's that's thank my you. way of saying thank you i have to tear you down before i can build you up but that's, that's my way of saying yeah, thank yeah. you but I, yeah go ahead I, yeah. no I want, I want to expand on that too because the reason that jay can step in here and do this is because he's he is grounded in the scripture right. anyway like he's studying and i know this about jake because we, we go to Sunday school together. We do Bible study on Wednesday together. Like We share long card rides together <laughs> yeah. on fishing trips. Yeah, he, he's grounded in the word already. So this wasn't a, oh, hey, yeah, let me crack open my, is that in the Old Testament? Like he knows, like he's right. studying the scriptures. So like there, it's a, it's not a, a huge leap to go, okay, I may not know that much about Nehemiah, but I know God, I know God's truth and I know God's word. I'm going to dig in. So yeah. do you I, even I, remember your point because we just, yeah. started no, like no, no, you're fine. You're fine. I was yeah. going to say, I was, I, I was armed before I came in here. It may have been with a slingshot, but I was armed. Um, <laughs> the, no, I think the biggest thing I would tell you is someone who's really started diving into these in, into scripture a lot heavier over the last 14 months. I always found the Bible intimidating. Um, there's a lot to it. And, you know, as someone who it's like, well, I'm saved. I follow Jesus. I do my best here. As someone who's going through that walk and then you start reading it, it can be really, really convicting, especially if you're starting to really deep dive into the study and you realize how much, so much of the Old Testament is linked to the New Testament and scripture is linked to scripture and how many different prophets are quoting each other. And you you don't realize it. I mean, I read the Bible cover to cover two years ago. It was like new year's resolution. I'm going to do it. Was my heart in it? No. I mean, I was checking boxes. I'm checking boxes. It's like, well, you know, I remember telling my daughters that I was, I said, well, your father believes that if you haven't read the whole, if you haven't read the whole Bible, then I don't know why you would be wanting to talk about any other book that you've read. It's the single most important book in the history of man. And, uh, I haven't read it all. So I'm not reading any other book until I finish this book. But the problem is, is like, okay, well, I'm just checking boxes. Yeah. I'm not studying it. Were you trying to do like the Bible in the year thing? Oh yeah. Cause I, I remember whenever I did, I was going to listen to the Bible cause I'm like, I listen to so many podcasts. I'm going to yeah. listen to the Bible. But it was so passive cause listening to something is passive generically just as a category, but it was so plat passive because I'm driving around a multi thousand pound vehicle trying not to die while I'm also trying to learn scripture. But I think that's the thing. Well, I'm curious what you guys think about this. I think part of the thing that keeps people from reading the Bible is they think they have to study it. I've mentioned that several times on the show when I've talked to other people is like, okay, you can read Lord of the Rings. You can read whatever you're into, pick a book, Jack Carr novels. You can read those, but you don't have to study them. Yeah. And even if you're reading something that's, you know, nonfiction, you know, you're reading the reason for God, you can read it without studying it. Correct. And, but with the Bible, it seems like categorically, most people are like, well, 
I don't have time to study it. So, you know, reading, it's not even worthwhile. Do y'all feel like that's how that goes? Oh, I think, I think a lot of people think that it's, it, you know, 66 books. That, I mean, that's a, that's a thick book. And I think we can with tell 10 pages. Our, yeah. V- very thin pages. And if you have a study yeah. Bible, it's even thicker because there's yeah. notes and there's commentary in there. But I think, yeah, it, it is such a daunting library to, to look at and try to, to try to digest. And I, then I think it, to, to quote something that you say, we default to our lowest level of training. And if that is the easy way, oh, well, I'm just going to watch an hour worth of shows because man, that's just easier. That turns into seven hours and I wake up, it's 2 AM and my TV's on. And I sat in bed to, to read some scripture. And then I ended up watching Netflix for until I fell asleep. Um, it's, it's an, it's a commitment to just do it. And yeah, I think, I think that's a definitely something that it's, it's, it's such a, such a daunting thing. You just have to get over it. And get well, and it. I'm, I'm kind of taking us off into the nether regions. We got more to cover in uh, <laughs> chapter sure. six, but I, I think that that's a, that's a really good way to encapsulate that point, Matt, is for all of us. And I'm preaching to me as well. Like it is worth your time, however much time that you give it. So even like when you first wake up in the morning, like, are you immediately going to your email, Instagram, Twitter, or are you going to one of your Bible apps? I think that's a very important thing. Uh, One thing I I don't want to spend a ton of time on, but I did just want to point out verse eight. um, Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. The note that I made as I was reading that guys is you don't always have to ignore false accusations. Uh And so we live in this time period where there are people that are morally superior. And when people say things to them and try to attack them and tear them down, they're like, I'm not going to dignify that with a response. And I've said similar things. Like I don't go in my comment section and on my YouTube channel and Instagram. Like I don't, I don't read the comments like, because you know, it's, they're typically positive, but it's those negative ones that will stick in my craw for, you know, multiple days. And it's just not really good for me in terms of what we're trying to build, build out in terms of content. But to those people that think that you never have to answer your naysayers, I think this is a good example of a guy like Nehemiah who he, there were all these false accusations and he answered them directly. You can answer them. But I think that attaches to verse nine for they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. So, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. How many times in Nehemiah so far have we seen these little like quick tweet prayers from yeah. Nehemiah where he, he pauses, he pauses, he says a quick prayer. So it's almost like he's recentering himself, not like in a, you know, I'm going to attach my ponytail to a tree, new age type of thing. But it's like, he's, he's just, he's just centering his life on who he knows, you know, he's going back to the source, I guess you can say it. Um, and I think that that's a very important thing that Nehemiah just does this a lot. And if I'm being honest, I don't do that a lot. Like my, my quick tweet prayers are typically thank you ones. Or if I'm doing something cool or if something like a blessing that I notice, I'm like, oh man, God, that's so freaking awesome. I don't deserve that, but you gave it to me. That's cool. Thank you. But this, like he's, he's really in the teeth of this drama and he keeps going back to prayer. I think that's really, really important. It's a good model for sure. Yeah. I think whenever you, I mean, I think that's something. I know Matt and I have discussed this before. I think one of the things that's very, very difficult is when you start going through any sort of adversity, uh, any challenge when you're afraid, um, 
you know, I think there's times where we will turn to God and it's, you know, it's easy. But I think there's also a lot of times where we just, we don't think we need him. And mm. we won't turn to him in those times. We, we, we decide, no, you know, if to parrot, you know, to be Nehemiah here, no, I can build the wall on my own. I don't need God. Um, I think there's a lot of, t- you know, I, I know Matt and I are doing a Isaiah Bible study right now and talking about Hezekiah and him going to God frequently over and over and over again in contrast to his father Ahaz, who's, well, I'm not going to God. I'm going to go to Egypt. I'm going to go and have, I, I'm going to yeah. get help elsewhere, you know, and we seek human help. I think the first thing that we want to look at, the first thing before we encounter anything is we're encountering, you know, I know as I've struggled with certain things, nothing stands up to Jesus. There are literally times where I'm just like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just keep repeating his name. And I know that if there's a temptation that's in front of me, if there's a fear in front of me, it cannot stand up to it. Yeah. No, I think, you know, just to extrapolate this whole, this book, how does it apply? Like reading scripture and digging into the word and pursuing a relationship with, with God is building up a wall. We are building up the city gates and the city walls by doing this. And I, I think I mean, that's so true that God, God is not just building a wall here. He is building a foundation. He's building up a people. This is more than just this city needs to be restored. This has some very eternal consequences for the people of God. And so I think we can do that ourselves by digging in and, and having that relationship and, and thinking first, okay, how would I, how should I do this? Or man, I'm going to call my buddy. It's let's turn to God. And Nehemiah is a perfect, not a perfect, but he's a great model for that. And I, that's awesome that that's in there. It's not, not by accident. Nope. That's in there. Ryan, would you mind reading verse 10? It's got a lot of names that are going to be easy to mispronounce. So I just want to laugh at you. So if you can read verse 10. <laughs> That's good. I've been listening to this on tape. Before. Or, um, on tape? Not on tape. What Thank year you. did we just go back to? Ryan. I've been listening to this <laughs> on an app. <laughs> Ryan broke out his Sorry. Walkman. I was, just, I was just, I was just, before we go, I just wanted to say, you know, as counsel to men, don't ever use verse eight on your wife. I've done it before and I've gotten in trouble. Go ahead and read verse 8 so they know what you're saying. No such things uh, you say have been done for your <laughs> So you're saying you've tested this theory live on your lovely wife? Is that what you're saying? Yes, I'm still married. Uh, but it just Sorry. wasn't It wasn't like a great <laughs> experience for that period of time. I wish I, I wish I had the videotape of her face looking at you when you said that. Oh, man. No such things have happened. You're inventing them in your mind. <laughs> That's the Bible. That's the quote of scripture. That's you right. can't get mad. And then you immediately go to the part where it says women should be quiet. And you're like, yeah, don't worry about the context. I just, I need you to be quiet. Uh, what I just said out of Nehemiah. So, yeah, wow. no, I'm sorry. Um, I had to get a laugh in before you made me read this. And I laugh at myself. Go for it. Verse 10, guys. I didn't highlight this time. So we're good. <laughs> Last time, guys, if you're not paying attention. So Ryan's got this habit of highlighting every single word he finds important. And then he realizes he's highlighting the Bible and all of it's God's <laughs> word. And so it's like, but he'll leave three or four words a page not highlighted. And I don't know about you guys, but it makes it kind of hard to read. Usually when, handed, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I went up into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, son of Methabel, who, is, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. 
All right. So just verse 10, we'll, we'll keep kind of piecing this out. This is really important because, uh, Nehemiah, this is kind of lost in in the context because it's not explicit here, but Nehemiah is not permitted in the temple because he was not a priest. Okay. And so really like this, this was a fairly diabolical scheme because as we'll see, you know, spoiler alert, this, this was not a real prophet. This was a prophet that was hired by the people that wanted to destroy the project from the beginning. Um, this was a scheme to either kill him and or ruin his reputation. Because let's say he knows he's not permitted in the temple. The people know he's not permitted in the temple. But in order to save himself from potential harm, he goes and hides inside the temple. Um, even if they didn't kill him, it would have ruined his rep- reputation as a man that had reverence for God. And so I think it goes back to the persuasion point you were making earlier, Jake, or different ways that we get pulled into sin, is this seems like a good plan. I am in physical, mortal danger, and this person of God, this prophet, is allowing me access to the temple that he can't grant, by the way. He can't grant that access. Like, he doesn't have the right. But, man, like, that that's a hell of a plan. Like, hey, let's get him to do this. Uh, but then we see in verse uh, 11, Uh, Ryan, you want to go ahead and do verse 11, please? Sure. But I said, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. So let's talk about that a little bit because, again, diabolical scheme, very, very smart scheme. It's playing on every human's desire to uh, stay alive and to self-preserve. But immediately there's this courageous response from Nehemiah, like, should such a man as I run away? Like, again, he understands his placement in Israel. He understands his placement under God's authority. And he basically says, no. Like, he probably smelled a rat as well here, but he's like, no, no chance. I think he had some discernment for sure, but his work wasn't finished. He, he knew what he was supposed to do. And his, it seems like his whole time doing this is a whole, I am doing a great work and cannot come down moment like that's that is his life verse it would it would appear if, if there were in ever a life verse to put on a coffee mug that would be a pretty good one to put on one but yeah he he obviously has some discernment but he's he knows who he serves and he knows what his mission is and even back to man artaxerxes could kill you he's the most powerful person in all of the land and nehemiah his thought was he's not more powerful than god like I serve, I serve God who is, who is reigns over Artaxerxes. So that, that is a, again, a, a, another great example of how we are to act in those types of situations. I think Artaxerxes kind of knew that too. And the fact that if you look at the past through, you know, we go back and look at Daniel and all the Kings before him, they ended up seeing the power of God throughout that time. And then, I don't know if I, I may be incorrect on this, but I believe like Esther was a stepmother. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think um, that's right. Yeah. And so I, I think there's, I think there was a, maybe a reverence with him in the Jewish people. And so I don't, you mean, he may have thought himself as God, but I think he had a reverence for, for the Jewish people and the Jewish God. Well, I, I think the way that Nehemiah act and the way he did things, you go back to, you know, Timothy, when it talks about acting in a way that even unbelievers respect you, I think that is very much an indication of how Nehemiah was like he acted in such a way that Artaxerxes respected him so much that he made him his cupbearer. Yeah. And so 
everything that he did, you could see that pouring out of him. Okay, this guy's different. This guy is doing things different than most people I know. So I think that just seeped from him. Yeah. I think it's interesting if you kind of compare Nehemiah a little bit to Joseph. You know, the circumstances in which he arrived under his captor and the character and integrity that he showed ends up with him in a position of great prominence underneath the ruler. And now he's able to do something that is very impactful towards God's perfect plan. But I think for, I mean, I don't know. I have a note in here. Are you guys, have you heard of Joseph's on the Romanian pastor? I know I talked to you with you about him a while back. So I look at this as I read it and I was like, this is a man who's literally like, I am anchored. I know what God's plan is. Uh, Joseph Son was a Romanian pastor in, in under communist rule. And he had a uh, interrogator under the communist regime uh, under Russia. He had an interrogator who was basically beating him daily, uh, trying to get him to stop preaching God's word. And at one point he goes back to his cell and he's just, hor- I mean, Joseph is just distraught. He's like, why is this happening to me? I can't believe this is going on. And Jesus comes to him and says, I thought you wanted to know me. If you want to know me, you have to know my suffering. And he went back to that interrogator the next day and thanked him and forgave him. He said, I forgive you because I was so angry with you, but you actually brought me closer to God in, this, in these moments where you were beating me. And he the interrogator actually never beat him again. At one point he actually said, and I have this quote written down because it was, he said, your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. My preaching will speak 10 times louder after you kill me. And that, that defiance in, I just banged on the table. You told me I not told to do you, that. I told you off here. <laughs> Guys, it was only a matter of time. It's something with that seat, but don't, don't lose your mojo. I, I'm going. sorry. But that defiance, I mean, I look at this as Nehemiah's got all these people in his ears and saying, no, like I know what God wants from me. Yeah. Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you're trying to drag me in and muddy my character, muddy my muddy up God's plan. I'm not going to let you. And I, I think the important thing there is, I don't know about for you guys, but I'm, I'm like right in the thick of this right now. Uh, again, this is, you know, months down the road, but you know, in a couple of days, I'll be going into surgery again. And it's like, okay, I feel God's placement of me in this world is doing this podcast, speaking, using my voice to point people towards him. And what's my biggest physical ailment? It's my voice. Mm. And so it's like, okay. And even someone the other day was like, Kyle, like, of course, Satan would attack your voice. He doesn't want you to talk. And so there's a lot of things going in there, but it's like, if you are over the target of where God wants you in your life. And that doesn't mean, you know, vocational ministry necessarily. It could be inside your family, inside your business, you know, wherever you are being, you know, salt and light. Um, I think that's important to remember whose you are and to also remember that that doesn't mean you're just going to skip along and everything's going to be fine. Because again, there will be people that will try to tear you down. There will be negative nefarious forces. that will try to do the same thing. And, uh, well, here, uh, Jake, go ahead and read uh, 12 and 13, because I think sure. that'll elucidate the point even further. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sembalat had hired him. 
For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And so I think that this is important because sometimes sometimes we like to categorize things. I forget who said it, but it's uh, it, may, it was probably my buddy Joby Martin during a sermon when people are like, I'm under attack right now at my job. And then he has them talk a little bit about their job. And it's like, no, it sounds like you're showing up late and not working very hard. It's like, no, I don't, I don't think you're, I don't think you're, you're under the thumb of the devil right now. I think you're just being a lazy bones. And so with the thing that's important here is Nehemiah is able to see this is a false prophet. He calls him out as a false prophet, but then a very important word that you might skip over in verse 13, you know, for this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. He recognized that had he fallen for the trap, it wouldn't just be that he was, you know, gullible and naive. It was that he would be sinful. And I think that's a very important thing for for all of us that when we are attacked, when we do have real opposition, not just our own bad habits, like you can recognize that if you give into that, that that is sin and a recognition of our sin is not this macabre thing like we're always walking around navel-gazing because we're so sinful. No, it's a full understanding of their depravity. And so the moment I say depravity, the Calvinists are like, oh, let me talk next, let me talk next. So is it going to be Ryan or is it going to be Matt? Here we go, three, two, one. That's that's not what made me want to talk, but I think I'd love love to camp out there for a bit because I think think when we hear the word sin, we attach this certain connotation to it. It is pornography. It is murder. It is all these terrible things, and of course, those are sins, but the sin that is being talked about here is, is essentially turning away from God, which is what all sin is, basically, is turning away from God. It is making ourselves God, relying on our own will, relying on our own capabilities, and you don't have to go have a porn addiction to be in sin, and I think I think it's important to note that, that it's not this big boogeyman thing that's, that's so far out there that we can't grasp it or, or man, that'll never happen to me. Like, you are sinful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I think look at you. I like the, I mean, you know, I, again, I was listening to a Timothy Geller sermon the other day, and he talked about, like, sin bigotry, okay? Mm. and. So many, like, we rank sin. Here on earth, we've decided that certain sin is worse than others. And what's funny is I think the people who actually commit those harsh, harsh sins, when they do repent, walk a lot closer with God than someone like even me or anybody sitting at this table because, well, I've never killed anybody. I've never stole, you know. I I haven't had a homosexual relationship. There's all these big sins that I have not committed, and yet when they repent, they walk closer with him because they know that salvation is key. I think I think you're right because even earlier this year, guys, when I was speaking at Lewisburg Prison, and you know I'm sitting there in front of uh, multiple murderers, rapists, kidnappers, pedophiles, when they come to knowledge of their own sin and their actual level of depravity, it's different than somebody that you know would lie or would deceive people or something. It, it does hit different. And that's another reason earlier this year, Jacob Riom, a pastor out of Canada, 
came on the show and we talked about abortion and he mm. just talked about how so many pastors are scared of the women in their congregations that have had abortions. And so they just decide to not talk about it. And he says, they've seen so much gospel fruit from getting up on stage and saying, look, if you've had an abortion, you've murdered, you've murdered an image bearer of God. But, you know, basically, you know, Jesus died for that too, but it's understanding that and categorizing it properly. That's important. Uh, it, I think, Calvinist death match. Who's going to do it? Paper, rock, scissors. Uh, 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 he, Let's actually do that. Who, you know, you know, whoever's going to, we're going best of one. What's one, two, three, shoot. Three, shoot. Okay. One, two, three, shoot. One, two, three, shoot. Even in uh, paper, rock, scissors. Rock, rock the Calvin, wins. Ryan. Uh, the wins, Calvinists were, there was three sessions there. The Calvinists kept thinking just right. alike on the front. <laughs> of course. Because uh, we're brothers. That's right. Make, uh, your, make your point. No, I, I think it was, I think it's one thing to look at when he brought up sin, you know, like, all sin, I think, in God's eyes is, is the same, whether you murder somebody or you lie, but it's the consequences. It's the consequences that aren't the same. And I think that's something that's hard for Christian people mm. to understand is that, yeah, all sin is, you know, you hear, well, all sin's the same. You know, you sin just like the next person. It's like, yeah, well, there's different consequences to sin. Um, but I think what you said just brings a light is that sin is anything outside of God. You know, if we're taking anything outside of God, that is sin. And we, we, we all do it all the time. It's our sin nature. Um, it's, you know, it's us. It's our free will, you know. So I can use my free will to either listen to God and the Holy Spirit, or I can use my free will to listen to my flesh. And that's where I just kind of go through where it's just like when you, I think me coming to Christ and me coming to the actual true essence of the gospel was total depravity. Like you have to look at yourself as I'm not this good person that the Ted talk pastor down the street told me I am. I'm really not. I, I need a savior. And you're not a mistaker. You're a sinner. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm not a mistaker. I didn't make mistakes. No, I sinned. I sinned against the Holy God. Maybe not in ways that other people have sinned, but I've also, you know, other people sin in stronger ways. But I, I, I have to agree that somebody who, you know, where do you take that? Like, I've never murdered anybody and that will never happen. But like when you do do that and then you do come to terms with your depravity, like how much closer does that draw somebody? It's, it's kind of daunting to think that the serial killer and the president of the PTA are headed for the same place without Christ. And we can, we can lull ourselves to sleep or believe this false sense of security that like Jake said, I've never murdered anybody. So I'm good, right? But back to your point about abortion, when we preach the whole gospel or when preachers preach the whole gospel, sure, the gospel can cut. It's the best news and the worst news you can get all in the same moment. Because yes, my default destination is eternal damnation, but Christ says, I'm covering you. You're clothed in my righteousness. So come dwell in that. It doesn't matter what you have done, whether you're a murderer or you're a gossiper, you all need Christ. And I think that is a danger in the modern church, specifically in America, is we, talk, we want to talk about all these things that the, that the world says is horrible, but then we forget about the president of the PTA who's a gossiper. She needs yeah. the gospel just as much as I do, just as much as the guy in prison who's spending the rest of his life in prison. Like, Everybody needs the gospel. Well, and that's the why gos- oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Go the gospel convicts. It doesn't condemn. And that's what we got to remember. It's like, I think it's Paul that says we do not live in condemnation. 
Well, there, and, there's now therefore no condemnation yeah. for those who are in Christ Jesus. That those are the first words out of my mouth whenever mm-hmm. I do my presentation on abortion. Yeah, because it's like, let's address the elephant in the room right now. Let's all put on our big boy and big girl pants. It's like you have to understand that what you've done it was not a mistake. It's not just part of your past. It's one of the things that will send you to hell, and it's mm-hmm. not. It's because of the category of sin to which that that you know aligns with or attaches yeah. to. I think that's a por- an important distinction. It convicts, but it doesn't condemn. We're yeah. all convicted. We all stand Shh. before a holy God convicted of sin. The the difference for people who are in Christ is after that conviction, God says, "You are robed in righteousness, so now you are not condemned." You are yeah. convicted, but not condemned. And I that's, that's where, a good, that's and that's a where good I point. say, like, if you're going to a church and you walk out of that church and you feel like, oh, I'm a good person. I, I received really good talk today. Like, you know, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to go slay the world queen. You know, it's like, no, you need to leave church being like, I'm convicted. Like I need to, I need to draw myself closer to God. Like leaving with some conviction is not condemnation. It's, it's, it's growth. And that's what it is. Yeah, I agree. Let's, uh, Matt, will you read 15 and 16 for us? <laughs> sure. Um, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So years and years and years and years of ruin. The city walls are in ruin. The gates are in ruin. The people are in ruin. And in 52 days, I mean, you want to talk about leadership, motivation, organization, political sway, all that was in play here. And in 52 days, they got this done. I mean, if we think about in America, it's like, you're not going to get a permit to build a parking lot in California in 52 days. You might not get that in 52 weeks. And yet here we are, they were able to just get after it and get it done. And then in verse 16, what people perceived was actually what happened was that they were able to do that with the help of God. And so could God have just snapped his fingers and the walls have been rebuilt? Yeah, of course, of course he could have done that. But he used the hands and the feet of the people who he granted hands and feet to to be able to do this work, a work that was definitive, but it was also a work where they had to be defensive Mm. throughout this entire process. They had to rely on God throughout this entire process. But then even in verse 16, that would have been a great time to brag. Again, you know, Nehemiah is writing this, man, I am so awesome. I came in here, I kicked the doors down that were already kind of kicked down. And then I just like announced that we were going to get this done. And look, I am like, I am Lee Iacocca. Like this is like, we're just absolutely crushing it. But it's like he knew from the beginning, it wasn't him. He was just the hands and feet of God. I think one of the things that I found fascinating here, when you talk about rebuilding the wall in 52 days, they were not making brick. This was leftover rubble. Okay. This wall was what was sitting there already. And it was made new. A whole new defense, a whole new uh, way of preventing, you know, people from coming into the city. To me, that is so similar to just heart work. I mean, it's just, I'm broken. I have nothing. I'm messed up. And God, Jesus comes in and I get my walls rebuilt. But, you know, it's after hard work or after the hard work starts the hard work, you're going to have, it's like now, okay, the walls are up now. You have to defend it. 
you're going to have to have that play. You're going to have to have a defensive heart against the temptations and sins of the outside world. But yeah, to the point of the 52 days to build a wall. I mean, I took two years to build my home. I mean, it's just, you know, the amount of the design that that is only accomplishable through the hand of God. Yeah. I think some context should be put there like 52 days to build a wall of a city, you know, in that time, my neighborhood streets are being paved. They started in January. Mm-hmm. We're not even close to being done. We're well over 52 days. We're, we're over 100 days now. And we've got technology and machines. And so 52 days, I think that's very specific because there's no other way to look at that if you're, if you're outside looking in going, oh, wow, 52 days? And I, of course. Surely God did that. Well, and I, I think as well, I think I've read somewhere, it was in uh, Eugenia Constantino's book, uh, I forget the name, it's The, the Crucifixion of Our Savior. Great pronunciation, like by the way. Um, I just snuck that in there so y'all would think I was smart. Did it work? Did it work? Did it work? Check, check, check. She's, she's fantastic, by the way. Never she's, thought you were smarter until you said her name. <laughs> Nailed it. I don't even know if that's true, but like the, the thing that was- I it, think that's right. I, I think I remember reading, because you know she gives us a really good understanding of uh, you know the- the Jews in the first century and kind of the context of that and how it pertains to the gospel anyway. But I think there were two, it took 200 men. I think there were Levites, but it was 200 men in order to open and close the gates uh, of the temple. Mm. And I mean, just think about that. Like, so this wasn't hanging a door in your house, right? This wasn't framing like this. This was serious work that they got after. And, and again, we go back to Nehemiah three we know who did it right there. It's a, it's part of the historical record that we know who did this and, and who became a part of it. But I think the overall point here is because there's still a whole lot more to go in Nehemiah, but seemingly the point of Nehemiah, this, it kind of crescendos here. And we have our, like the, the climactic moment, like, Hey, they've built it. And with all of us, and this will kind of set us up for next week with all of us, once we've accomplished the thing, we think that we'll be whole. We'll think that the work is now done. So we've, we've convinced her to marry us. We've sold the company. We've gotten pregnant. We've, whatever the thing is, you, you think you've arrived and that you've accomplished something. But as all of us here at this table know as fathers is pregnancy and then the baby is born. That is, that is not the end of what we're doing. That is simply the beginning. We, we've talked about abortion quite a bit on this podcast. A lot of pro-lifers ignorantly thought that the overturning of Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey was the goal in the end. It's like, no, that was what we needed to get the race started. That was the gun that begins the race. And now the fight actually begins. So again, guys, uh, every time I talk to someone about Nehemiah, they're always like, I don't really understand why you think that's the best book of the Old Testament. It's like, I didn't say it's the best book. I said, it's my favorite book of the Old Testament, but there's, again, chapter six is, it's one page in my journal Bible and it's just absolutely chock full of awesome stuff. But guys, we're going to have to- Can I say one thing before we go? No, I want to do my outro. Can I do my outro? Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, just go ahead and hop in. God's glory will be proclaimed. Right. And God calls his people to be a witness to the nations. And right here- is a gospel truth that God will be proclaimed to the nations. And it's through a work of, of, of some people who are faithful to God and God is proclaimed. And that is 
awesome. And they weren't just faithful. Awesome. They got after it. They got and so after that's it, the thing. Yeah. You got they a lot of people. The they did yeah, the work. They yeah. absolutely did the work. But guys, we'll have to leave it there. But come back next Sunday where we are going to dig into Nehemiah 7. Make sure you read that so you're prepared for next week. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And guys, if you like content like this, the only reason we're able to pull that off is because we have donors. So the only link we've got for you today is a link to our donation page, undaunted.life backslash donate. We've got a lot of guys that are supporting us on a monthly basis, but even on a one-time basis. If you want more content like this so that we can equip men around the globe to be able to push back darkness, we need your help. Please hop on board. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Also, we want to thank the band Holy Name for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Perpetua, which is off their self titled debut album on face down records the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah